All right, take your Bibles with me this morning to John chapter 11. Be in verses 11 through 20 this morning. This is part two of the death of Lazarus. Last time we were here, we learned of Lazarus being sick. There was a message sent to Jesus. He was some day's journey away from where Lazarus lived in Bethany. And of course, Jesus loved Lazarus and and Mary and Martha, his sisters, and they had a, a tight relationship and they sent word that he was very ill. But we know that Jesus, he, he, he held off on going. He told the messenger that this sickness is not unto death, but that, the, that God may be glorified through it. The messenger returned. But we know based upon the timeline that Lazarus died probably a, shortly after the messenger left to bring the message to Jesus. And it was custom in those times, in that climate, that hot climate of Palestine, uh, they, they would place their loved one to rest the same day that they would pass away. And uh, so Lazarus, we're going to see in just a few moments, he, when Jesus finally makes it there, he'd been dead and in the grave for four days. And, uh, but God was going to get glory from it. And we're going to pick it up in, in verse number 11. If you're there in your Bible this morning, say amen. We're going to begin reading. These things he said, and after that he said them to, to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, I let us go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Death, doubt, and disappointment are common themes in the human experience. I'm going to say that again. Death, doubts, and disappointment are common things that we face in our human experience. And Jesus, though he was 100% God, he was also 100% Man, so he went through life and experienced a lot of what we would experience. And no doubt, this was one of those times. Lazarus was very close to Jesus. And of course, when the news came that he was sick, Jesus was mindful. He, he understood what would happen, but he, he took mind to the request. But he delayed, as I mentioned a moment ago. And he made his way there, as we see in our text, finally, four days after the news was brought to him. And uh, this may have seemed to some of us, we, we studied, we unpacked this the last time, that this was unusual. Usually Jesus would, when someone brought a need to him, who, someone exercised faith in him, he would act upon it right away. He would do something to show his power and, and, and to meet the need. But in this case, God had bigger plans. 
And I want to just say that in the beginning and encourage some of you in this room. You've been praying for something. You've been asking God for breakthrough or restoration or or, or healing or something that God is holding off on. And it could be that God has something bigger planned, that God has some way that he's going to be glorified through your situation. And so waiting time, as we hear often, is not wasting time. Maybe God is refining you in this fire right now. Maybe he's doing something that you have no idea that he's going to show up and show out in your situation. I just want to encourage us with that as we begin this study this morning. Now, Jesus is going to deal with this matter of death. Up until this point, he did not reveal to the disciples that Lazarus had died. He, He did not clearly come out and say to them that Lazarus was dead. But we see here in our text, he does just that. And he announces, of course, that they're going to make their way back to Judea. Now, we saw it last time that the disciples were worried about this because the last time that he was there, of course, they sought to kill him. The religious leaders wanted to stone him, but they did not quite understand that Jesus was on a divine schedule and that no one would be able to uh, accelerate or stop the, the timing that God had already set into place. And I, I was thinking about that too. Uh, you and I, those of us who are in Christ, and we, if we're walking with him, you guys understand that we are on a divine calendar, that we are within his will, that there is, uh, there's a safety that you find nowhere else. There's assurance that you can, uh, you can live on. You can find, uh, you know, peace in that. And I'm telling you this, you know, I lived in the hood in the Inglewood and I had more peace there than some of you have on your, your several acres, you know, out in Leona Valley. I'm telling you because when we are in the will of God, there's provision, there's peace, and there's, there's something unexplainable about when you are doing what God has called you to do. I'm going to encourage you with that. Disciples, even though they had spent up until this point a few years with Jesus and they still hadn't grasped the truth about who he was and what he was going to do. And so he told them, let's go back to Judea. And he calmed their fears. We'll see a little bit later. Uh, he, he, he would tell them, hey, you're going to see, you're going to see something that's going to strengthen your faith. And But Jesus is going to deal with this matter of death. Death is one of the most feared things. Most people go through life avoiding this reality. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to acknowledge death. But death is as much a part of life as anything else that we face. And I know there are people in a room this size who recently, in 2022, someone near to you, they experienced death. You're grieving as we speak this morning. But I was thinking about this. Jesus He didn't speak of death in a way for the believer as uh, the world would view death. You see, he had a different mindset when it came to death. He told the disciples that Lazarus was sleeping. He's asleep. (laughs) You see, death for the believer is different. It's, It's not finality. It's not the end of the thing. It's just transitional. It's, it's usually, uh, it's just a few, or for some, it might be sudden, it might be some, some weeks, some months, but I'm telling you, it's a transition for the believer into the presence of God. And what he said to those disciples was that, hey, Lazarus, he, he's asleep. He, he's, I'm going to go and wake him up. 
And I want to tell somebody in here this morning, if you're in Christ, one day you and I, we will fall asleep. But I'm telling you, Jesus, this same Jesus is going to wake us up. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's going to happen in an instant, my friends. You're going to take your last breath this side of eternity, and then those of us in Christ, you will wake up in the presence of our Lord. Amen? So we can live life with the assurance, with the faith, and not in fear of death. We have no reason logically according to what we believe in Scripture, according to what Jesus spoke about on on many occasions, we have no reason to fear death. And I'm not going to say that there isn't uh, that self-preservation that God has put in us. I'm not telling you to go run out in front of the speeding car. I'm not telling you to to tempt God in that way. But I want to tell you this morning, you you don't even have to fear death. Death for the believer is different from that, from an unbeliever. If I were not saved, I would fear death. <laughs> I, I, would, I would avoid it by all means necessary. You see, because death for the believer, there's rest after it. You are in the presence of God. You find rest. But death for the unbeliever is eternal weariness. That rich man who died rejecting God, when he woke up, he was in hell. And he was in torment day and night. That means there was no rest for him. There was no relief for him. There was no more comfort for him. Death for the unbeliever is something different. Death for the believer, when we pass into eternity, we go to heaven, and there's pleasure in the presence of God. Pleasures that we can't even comprehend are waiting for us. I have not seen nor ear have heard the things that God is preparing for those who love him. I'm telling you, we cannot even comprehend what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be beyond anything that we've experienced this side of eternity for the believer. But for the unbeliever, it's torment. There's pain, not pleasure. That rich man... In hell, he asked for the poor beggar to just come over from Abraham's bosom and put a drop of water on his tongue so that he could have relief for just a moment. But of course, his request would not be granted. For believers, when we pass into eternity, there are rewards for us for our faithful service to Christ. For unbelievers, there is nothing but regrets regrets and regrets. And I just want to just park it there for a minute. Jesus is the only one who can give the true and whole answer when it comes to this matter of death. He is the only one who has won the victory over death. He is the only one who can resurrect one that has died. And I, I want us to just grasp this this morning. You want to know one of, the, one of the driving forces behind what we do here at West Side is because we believe in eternity. We believe that there is life after death. There is a heaven that's sweet and a hell that is hot. And we find the answers and we find the truth of, of these places in the scriptures. And we can't ignore them. And you know, there's churches today where you'll never hear this. You'll never hear about a hell. You'll never hear about the fact that people are dying and going there because it makes people uncomfortable to hear that. But let me say this, I'd rather someone be uncomfortable here and repent, Lord willing, than to be uncomfortable for all of eternity. 
And I'm telling you, it's not comfortable to preach these truths. It's not easy to preach. But the truth is the truth. And it's important that we get it out. And Jesus spoke to those disciples, said, hey, Lazarus, he's asleep, but I'm going to go and wake him. I'm going to go to Judea, to Bethany, and I'm going to wake him. So death is addressed. Jesus finally plainly tells to them that Lazarus was dead. They thought because when Jesus said he was sleeping that he was going to get better. He was going to regain his strength because of his resting. But Jesus, of course, had to uh, speak to them more plainly because they didn't quite understand what Jesus was often saying. And how many of you have been there? Sometimes you just quite don't understand what God is doing. And sometimes you got to ask God for clarity. God, just shoot me straight. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've, I've honestly uh, prayed like that. I've said, God, I don't understand what you're saying here. I don't understand what you're doing in this situation. But God, can you speak to me plainly? Can you show me? And oftentimes, not all the time, he will reveal. But in this case, he did so to the disciples. And and uh, they heard the news, and no doubt it was shocking news to them. <laughs> Lazarus was already dead, but, but he said, I'm glad that he died. Listen to that. Look at verse, I think it's 15. He said, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. I was thinking about this as I studied this week, that no one ever died in the presence of Jesus. In every funeral that he went to, he touched the person who had passed away and they got up, death had to obey him. And so he said, I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sakes. He said, I'm glad because you're going to see something is, he's gonna, that you may believe, he said, so that your faith will, will be strengthened. And nevertheless, let's go to him. And I'm telling you, the disciples needed help with their faith, and so do you and I. Sometimes we get weak in our faith, and God is going to put us into circumstances that will strengthen our faith. He's going to cause the difficulty at times intentionally so that we can get stronger in our fortitude and our belief in him. Those of you, those of you men who have tools in your, your toolboxes at home, you, you, of course, know that all of those tools had to be forged in fire. They had to be uh, put in an extremely hot temperature and, and, and forged, and then they were taken out and polished, but the hardness, the strength, the usefulness of that tool came through the adversity that that metal had to go through. And I'm going to tell some of you this morning, the Bible says that uh, the fiery trial that wishes to try us is, is so that we could be uh, more mature, we could be more well-rounded, we could be more useful for God. So don't despise those trials when they come, family. Allow God to have his perfect work in our lives. And I don't, I'm like you, I don't, I don't look forward to the difficult things in life. I wouldn't have chosen some of the trials that I experienced, but I trust God. I trust God. I've seen his faithfulness. I've seen his hand even in the trials. And let me comfort you with this. Everything that you'll face has to first go through God. He's going to filter the things that comes into our lives. I want to encourage you with that. I think in one of the lines in the songs we, we sang, it said, you know, I don't have to understand when I trust him, when I believe him, when I have faith in him. And the truth is, I don't understand why some of you are suffering right now. 
I don't understand why your spouse left. I don't understand what you're going through in your health. I don't understand it. And oftentimes, I just have to sit with people and cry. I just have to pray over them and and just trust that God will reveal over time. But I trust God. I trust. I believe him. And his ways are higher than ours. And his purposes are greater than what we can comprehend. And I just want to encourage somebody with that this morning. Jesus, amen, he deals with death. But I want you to see next, Jesus is now going to deal with doubt. How many of you guys have ever doubted God? Ever been in a season of just God? Not, not saying God, you can or God, can you? <laughs> anybody, anybody been there? It's just me. I guess it's just me. You guys got the faith to move mountains, right? <laughs> well, I want you to see, as Jesus laid out this information, there was within the disciples one who, who's known as Doubting Thomas. Now, Doubting Thomas got his name because later on, even after all of this, <laughs> he says, I won't believe that he resurrected from the dead unless I touch him, unless I see the scar in his, in his side and in his hands, and he's known as Doubting Thomas, and he has doubts. He, he's not the type of guy who thinks that glass is half full. He thinks it's half empty. He's a little pessimist. He thinks negatively. Anybody like that or anybody bent like that this morning? Sometimes I get there. Well, Thomas, his name is in the Hebrew, but his Greek name is Didymus, and it means that he was a twin. He had a twin. And Thomas, his response to Jesus was, was this. Look at verse 16. He says, then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, so he didn't say it to Jesus, he turned to the disciples. <laughs> he didn't want Jesus to hear this. We knew Jesus would have known what he said, but he said, he says, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> now, if this is any indication, if his attitude was any indication of the faith of the disciples, they all needed to be strengthened. <laughs> now, let's not be too hard on Thomas. Thomas, of course, left all to follow Jesus. And I read this this week that though Thomas was a doubting man, we must confess that he was a devoted man. You see, he was willing to go, even if it meant sure death, even if it meant danger and risking his own life. We must, we don't admire his faith, but we must admire his loyalty and courage. Give me a few Thomases. Even though you may not feel faith, even though you may not want to do what, you, what you're being asked to do, uh, you are loyal and you are willing to even die if need be. And I'm telling you, Thomas set that example. He knew that there was danger looming in Judea, but yet he still went. And I want to ask you this question. It's going to be increasingly hard to be a Christian in this country, and it may be you lose a career. It may be you lose uh, invites to certain events. It may be that you lose something for your faith in Christ because you identify with him. Are you willing to? I'm not saying we're excited about it. I'm not excited about it. I'm not saying, oh, man, I'm looking forward to, you know, whatever may come, the jail time or the persecution. I'm not saying that we, we, we glory and we look forward to that, but are we willing, like Thomas, Thomas, he was a doubter, but he was devoted, and uh, he took leadership. 
He showed his commitment to Christ, even unto death. And it was ironic that he said that because truthfully, it was the faith of every one of those men to die for Jesus. Every one of the disciples would be martyred except for John the Beloved, but he, he would be banished to the island of Patmos. But before that, he was dipped in hot oil. Peter was crucified upside down. He said, I am not worthy to die as did my Savior. Thomas, they believe, went up to Spain somewhere and was, had his head cut off and um, I can keep going. I'm telling you, Peter, um, I said it a moment ago, and, and all of the disciples, they would die for their faith. And um, Jesus is worthy of it. You know, we, st- we, we sit here today on the backs of men and women who died for Jesus. That Bible that you hold in your lap this morning, oh, it is, have you ever read The Trail of Blood? I want to encourage you, maybe in the new year, read some, some, the book of, of martyrs and read about men and women who, when they were given the choice to deny Christ or to die, they thought it worthy to die rather than deny their Savior. I think about Rachel Joy Scott. I grew up in Denver, and I remember when Columbine, which was like one of the first major school shootings that took place in this country, and I remember watching her funeral on TV, and... Um, The story was told of how she courageously uh, uh, did not deny Christ, even though Dylan, one of those demon-possessed young men, had a gun to her head and and said uh, he he knew she was a a Christian. Uh, Her name was Rachel Joy Scott. She didn't have it all together. She came from a broken home. Her parents were divorced. But when she walked into campus, everyone knew that she loved Jesus, even this, this evil young man. And so when he saw her, he made, a, he made his way to her, put the gun to her head, and said, do you believe in God now? And when some of you men would have just squirreled out of it, this 14-year-old, 90-pound girl looked this young man in the eye and said, you know I do, took her life. Oh, the reception she got in heaven. Oh, her funeral was televised, and the, the testimonies came in of many people giving their heart to Christ because of her testimony, because of her fearlessness, not fearlessness, but her, her faithfulness. I'm sure she was afraid. But some of us, we need to get some steel in our spine. And even, I'm just going to tell you that, hey, some of you... Men, you don't, even, you don't even share with your coworkers that you're a Christian because you're afraid of what they might say about you. Help us. God, help us. Where are, the, where are the men of God? Where are the women of God in this generation who are going to stand and identify with Jesus, even if it means we lose something? I was thinking about it. There's so many Christian leaders who have capitulated so that they can continue to be invited on to Oprah Winfrey, so they can continue to have the contracts coming, so they can continue to have uh, the, the stadiums filled and the, and the big platforms. And I'm telling you, would be to God, there'd be a few men and women with some steel in their spine, with some faith in Christ that will stand for him no matter what the cost may be. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but these are days where we're going to have to live out what we say we believe. 
Thomas lived it out. He, he still walked that long day walk back to Judea. And I imagine every step, he was like, we're getting closer. <laughs> They're going to be waiting, no doubt. He probably played it out in his mind, but he still took the next step. And I want to encourage us, even in doubt, you see, God doesn't, he can handle our doubts. Jesus, he, of course, he didn't rebuke Thomas. I, I truthfully believe because Thomas was still with him. He was, he was still walking, and it's okay to have doubts and bring them to Jesus and let him uh, reinforce your faith. Ask him, like that father said, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Anybody pray that? God, I believe, but help this part of me that doesn't believe. I need more of you, Lord. I need more of your spirit so that I can believe you are who you say you are. So when they made it there, of course, to uh, Bethany, Jesus was, of course, there, and they, they, of course, got the news that, well, Jesus knew this, but that he'd been dead for four days. And um, I want you to notice that there was a crowd assembled. The Bible says in verse number 19, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So they get into town, and, and there's a large crowd of people who were mourning with them. It was customary for the Jews to, uh, to do this. They would come and, and they would grieve and they'd comfort the bereaved. And usually it would be days. It would be some days that they would stay with them. And it was viewed as very pious and, and holy to do this. And so they took it upon themselves to, to, to be there for people. And I think that there's some good from that. Sometimes, you know, I've been in the room when someone passes away and their loved one's there. And all you can do, you don't have words. All you can do is cry. All you can do is just be there. And I want to encourage some of you, if you're in that situation this year, don't go there with all your little trite sayings. Just, just Bible says if we weep with those who are hurting, that, that does far more than, than us trying to say some words. Just be there for someone. I want to encourage us to, to be that type of church. And I'm thankful we are that type of church who, who we, we show up in people's times of need. And... Um, so this is what was taking place. And so Jesus is now going to deal with the disappointed. He's going to deal with the sisters, the siblings of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. And so, as I mentioned before, they had a very close relationship with Jesus. They sent word to Jesus when Lazarus was sick, but Jesus delayed. And Lazarus had now been dead for four days. And the Bible says in verse number 20, then Martha as soon as she had, uh, she had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. So before Jesus could get to the house, Martha heard word that Jesus was coming, and she went out to meet him. And uh, Mary and Martha, uh, they're an interesting bunch. And um, Mary, of course, was the one who anointed Jesus' head uh, with oil and, and washed his feet with her hair and the tears that came from her uh, was what she used to wash his feet. And uh, she was a worshiper. She, and Martha was a worker. <laughs> we find this to be true in this church. We have, we have a lot. We have Marys and then we have Marthas. We have those people who will work and they'll be here at five in the morning to open up and they'll work hard and, you know, but they struggle when it comes to worship. 
just sitting at Jesus' feet, and it's not, it doesn't come natural to them like the work. And then we have worshipers, those who will worship, who, who love the Lord, who will sit at his feet like Mary, and, but sometimes they struggle with the, the, the working side. They, they're, they're more uh, inclined to just stay in the, in the posture of worship. And of course, Martha, she had an a, a, a encounter with Jesus where he told her that she was, she was too caught up in the things that don't matter. He said she was torn apart by so many things, but she needed to prioritize the right thing and the thing that no one could take from her, and that was him. And I just want to talk to some Marthas this morning. Maybe you're serving, you signed up for every ministry, and you're starting to wear down. You know what you really need to do? You need to worship. If you need to take, come to, come to me, come to the, your ministry leader, say, hey, I need to take a break. I'm getting weary. I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm starting to not enjoy coming. I'm starting to not uh, have a good attitude when it comes to what I'm doing. I just need a season where I'm going to back off and just worship Jesus and be, and be filled up again. And there's nothing wrong with that. Every one of us need that at times. Amen? Or maybe you're a you're a Mary, and all you, you do is worship, and you don't ever put your hand to the plow. I want to encourage us. Hey, we should worship like Mary and serve like Martha. I'm going to say that again. Worship like Mary, but serve like Martha. The Bible warns against idle hands. The Bible warns against Christians who, who, who don't serve him in some way, shape, or form. You should have some way that you're serving God, or else you're going to sit, soak, and sour. I want to say it again. If, you, if there's no outlet, if it's only just coming in, right? You know the Dead Sea? It is the, <laughs> the one body of water that you can go in and you can float because the salt content is so high, and nothing can live in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Because there is no, there's a lot of, there's inlets, but there's no outlet. And I've seen Christians become that. You, you've been poured into, you worship, you're here, you're, you're at every service, and you're, you're getting poured into all the time, but there's no outlet. And so you become stagnant. You ever see stagnant water that sit for a while and starts to get the bacteria in the mold? And I've seen some moldy Christians. <laughs> Hey, let's be real. (laughs) There needs to be an outlet. Maybe that's what you need to decide to do in 2023. Maybe God will show you in this season of of fasting or or seeking God what it is that he has for you, what what it is that he wants as far as your service, um, but you should be serving God. But I want you to see just briefly, there was some disappointment there because Mary stayed in the house (laughs) and... um, some say it was because Mary was, was the more contemplative one. She, she maybe was in there weeping with other people. She was more emotional than Martha. I found that to be true. Martha's aren't really emotional people. They're kind of like, Mary's are, oh, they, they cry at the drop of a hat. <laughs> we need Mary's, though. I'm telling you, we need Martha's, too. But, um, but I think there was disappointment there. We sent for you, Jesus. And you didn't come. You didn't speak the word where you were and heal. You, you, Lazarus is in the grave. He is dead. There was a tinge of disappointment, and we're going to see it 
next time. I'm going to pick it up from verse 21. But Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, if, 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 that big word, if, anybody ever (laughs) use that word in their minds when it deals with something that they're disappointed about? If this would have happened, if God would have done, if, you can drive yourself crazy doing that. You could be disappointment, disenfranchised. I know people who are disappointed with God right now, and and they... They're distant from God because of their disappointment. They had it all figured out how their life would go. And when things got deterred, when things, there was detours or there was God shut a door or whatever it may be, they became bitter. And uh, let me encourage us, church family, when disappointment comes into our lives, when we are disappointed with God at times, anybody been there? I, I felt that. I've had to work through that. And... Um, We've got to trust God. Our faith has to take over. Our faith in God and his nature and his desire to bring us to an expected end, his goodness, his mercy, all that we know God to be has to come into play. It has to be at the forefront of our mind, not our situation. So at the moment, but who God has been in our life, has he always been faithful? Has he always been good? Has he always, even in the difficulty, even when you laid that loved one in the grave, I'm telling you, he was, he's there with us. He is there. And and let me tell you, don't put your hope in anything this side of eternity. That loved one, I know some of you, listen to me, your spouse has become your God. What happens when you lay that spouse in the grave? It's coming. All my hope is in Jesus. Uh, He's the only thing in my life that cannot be taken from me. I'm telling you, that's what I want to tell some of you. You've become disenfranchised and disappointment because God isn't your all in all. It is more so this career or this this relationship or this uh, retirement or whatever it may be. And when life hits you and things unravel, oh, we'll find out what what you truly treasure. Is it Jesus or these things? Oh, for me... I've determined to lay loosely on all the things of this world and to hold, hold tightly to one that will always be the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is my firm foundation. Oh, you may take my health. You might take my life. I'm telling you, whatever you might take, whatever this world may take from me, oh, just give me Jesus. He's enough. And when he is all that you, are, that you need, well, excuse me, when you find out that he is all that you have, you'll learn that he's all that you need. <laughs> Am I just, I'm just preaching to myself this morning. Let's go. Let's go. Anybody can testify of that? Anybody can testify? I'm telling you, he is all that you need. Jesus deals with death, doubt, and discouragement, disappointment. And he's the answer to all three of those. <laughs> Faith in him is the remedy, is, the, is what is going to bring us through these things in our life. For the believer, we know that death is not final. 
We know that doubt comes and goes, but Jesus, he will get us through that. We know that disappointments will happen, but our hope is in him. And I just want to encourage someone with that, with these truths this morning. Maybe you're you're like Martha and Mary, and you're right now, you're in a disappointed time. Look to Jesus. Ask him to show you who he is and to fill you with him. And you'll find yourself to be satisfied. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Oh, these, these truths that I've preached to you that can only be realized in a relationship, the relationship with Jesus. He died for us on the cross. He, he, he proved his love for us. And uh, he, he desires a relationship with everyone. He's not willing that any should perish. Maybe you heard what I said earlier about death for the unbeliever, that waiting on the other side of that is torment and restlessness and, and, and regret. Well, today you can turn to Jesus and he can give you life and rest and, 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 and home in heaven for all of eternity. And best of all, he'll give you him. <laughs> the best thing in all of this is that you get him. He is mine. I know he is mine. I love to sing the, the reality that I belong to him and he belongs to me. And today, if you don't have that assurance, the Bible says that he that hath the son hath life, but he that hath not the son hath not life. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if the Holy Spirit of God does not uh, testify that you are in Christ, well, today is the day where you can call on his name. The Bible says that it's so simple that he will not cast out anybody who comes to him in faith. He, he promises that if you call on his name for salvation, he will give you eternal life. He will take your sin, he will take your brokenness, and he'll give you his righteousness. He'll give you his, uh, his standing with God. You will be as you never sinned before God because of the blood applied to your account. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ today, don't leave here without opening your heart to him, asking him to save you. And if you're here this morning and you find yourself believer in one of those spots right now, maybe you're going through the sting of death and you're someone you love or, or you're, you're, you're disappointed or you're in a season of doubting, come to Jesus. The altar will be open. There'll be men and women over in the prayer room who, who would love to bring your requests before the throne. And we, we believe in prayer in this church. We believe that God answers prayer and he shows up where two or more are gathered in his name. And so uh, we want to invite you over to the prayer room in just a moment. We're also going to observe communion. And communion is for believers. So if you are an unbeliever, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not partake in it, we ask, please. But if you are a believer, I want to encourage you, let's start the new year off right. Let's confess anything in our hearts because the Bible is clear that if we take the Lord's Supper unworthily, there could be judgment. <laughs> there, there is a seriousness to this because what communion pictures is his death for us, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, and we remember him and what he did to save us. 